Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA Podcast, and today's guest is my very dear friend and business partner and frequent collaborator, Al Levy. We've worked on a bunch of stuff over the years. I think we've been friends for like 10 years now. I met him at Golden Gods in, I believe, 2009. And since then, we pretty much talked all day, every day. I talked to him more than anybody else other than my wife and Some days I might even talk to him more than her, uh, which is kind of sad. But anyway, we've worked on a lot of shit over the years together. I think probably the first big thing we worked on was back when I was at Creative Live. Him and I essentially got the music and audio channel off the ground there. We did like seven or eight courses there at Creative Live. Since then, we have done a few things. Now, the thing we've worked on together for the past, uh, I guess about three years or so now, is URM Academy. URM Academy is my day job and his day job. It is the world's best online education platform for rock and metal producers. At least that's the tagline we use for it, and I believe it's true. Our main thing is a program called Nail the Mix, and the way that works is that every month, at the beginning of the month, you get the raw multi-track files for a new song by a new artist. Like this month, we have Tom Lord Algae mixing Angels and Airwaves. Last month, we had Will Putney mixing Knock Loose. The month before that, we had Suicide Silence. We also had, like... Fall Out Boy, Bring Me the Horizon, Meshuggah, Gojira, Periphery, like just really an amazing who's who of artists and producers. And the man who makes all that happen is Ale. And that is why I wanted to have him on this show because this is like a frequent thing that comes up when I talk to people. None of us can do this stuff alone. We need collaborators. We need people to take a chance on us. And how do you do that? Like, how do you pitch yourself? How do you get other people to say yes to working with you? It's super hard and nobody tells you how to do this stuff, right? Well, AL has done it, I don't know, we've done 50 Nail the Mix sessions now with artists like I just mentioned, and AL's the one that made it all happen. And the best part is that I don't think he's a natural salesman. Like, as he talks about in the interview, he hates doing this stuff. He hates putting himself out there and selling himself just like we all do. And that is exactly why I wanted to have him on, because he's come up with a repeatable approach for doing this that has worked every single month for the past five years that he's been doing it. It works. Whatever you're doing, you can take his approach and apply it to whatever you're doing, whether that is reaching out on behalf of your band or your podcast or YouTube channel or trying to get a job. Like The point is he has an introvert-friendly approach to selling yourself And I wanted to just really pick his brain about exactly what that is and give it to all you guys because I think this is super valuable stuff. So I will get into that in just a second. Before I do, I want to quickly mention the Patreon. If you would like to support the show, you can do that over at Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes for this. I also wanted to thank our amazing and talented and super helpful editor and producer, Deanna Chapman. Without her, we could not do this show. If you have a podcast you would like to get off the ground, Or if you already have a podcast and you just want to do it bigger and better, hit her up. There's a link to her website in the show notes as well. And with that out of the way, let's get into it. 
Good morning, Mr. Al Levy. Hi. Uh, we both sound kind of cool and gravelly right now because we had a, a URM meetup here at NAM last night. We had probably, I don't know what, 30 or 40 people there or something. More. We've been I think it was like 60. We've been talking, wow. Yeah. We've been talking all weekend, so we sound cool. I want to, this is one of those moments where I want to be like, give me the access codes. <laughs> I'd give you the access codes. My second career as a uh, voice actor. So what I want to talk about with you on this show is how to get people to say yes to working with you. My favorite thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you are extremely good at it. I mean, we can, we'll get into more detail, but you have made that happen for us at URM super consistently for the past almost five years now. I think you are as good at it as anybody on the planet. And the way that you do well, it you. is a very like non-pushy, non-douchey. You know, when you think about someone who's like a, I mean, essentially what you're doing is sales. But when you think of somebody who is really good at selling, you think of like the douchebag, you know, handing his business cards to everybody and punishing everyone in the room. And, With a picture of a Ferrari on right, his wall. Right. And you are not that at all. So that's the reason why I think you're a great person to talk to about this, because the way that you do it is a way that I think will feel better to people listening to this. And the reason why I think it's important to talk about this is because this, I think, is a big blind spot for a lot of people because I talk to people in my Facebook group or DMs or whatever where they have a podcast and they want to get guests on or you know they're in a band and they want to reach out to labels or managers or industry people or maybe they have like a little clothing company and they are looking for ambassadors and they just they have no real idea of how to go about reaching out to people. So mm -hmm. that's kind of what I wanted to get out of this conversation. Perfect. So can you just kind of explain the format of Nail the Mix and, uh, and in particular, who all you need to get on board every month to make one of these things happen? Yes. So the format of Nail the Mix is a monthly subscription where kind of like a magazine, there's a new episode or issue every single month. Every single month we have a new mixer slash producer on who comes on to show how they mixed uh, something awesome that they did. And we also feature the actual tracks from the artist. Uh, so, you know, say that someone, say that we have Fallout Boy on one month, with uh, which we did with producer Sean O'Keefe. It means Sean O'Keefe comes on to show how he mixed uh, this particular Fallout Boy song that he mixed. And... Uh, our students get a chance to mix along with the actual tracks. And so, unlike, they, so they download the actual yes. files from the album that Sean used to mix the real song that you have heard. Yeah, that's key. Um, because sometimes when you see like YouTube covers or some tutorials, well, they're doing covers. Like people will release, this is big on the internet, people will release cover versions of popular songs. We're releasing the real thing. Um, which means that we have to get approvals from lots of people. We need to get the band to approve. But that's that's more complicated than you think, because as I've learned... It's not just the band, right? Well, it's not just the band. However, you need to make sure that the band the band has actually, not approved, has actually approved not just one guy, because uh, I've realized that bands don't really communicate. So we had a couple situations at the beginning where one guy was cool with it and didn't ask his buddies right and then like wait his, what the fuck are you yeah, doing with buddies. the tracks dude yeah exactly so we need to make sure that the band the whole band or at least the power structure in the band 
is cool with it. We need to make sure that their management is cool with it. We've also learned that bands don't always talk to their managers uh, about this sort of thing. So the band's team and the band have to be cool with it. Then the label has to be cool with it, which means um, their lawyers have to be cool with it too. And then on top of that, publishing. And sometimes publishing is the label. Sometimes it's a whole separate company. So we need to get those, uh, and I'll call them three different teams as well as, of course, the producer. Yes, of course, the producer. This all happens once the producer says yes. So that's the first step in the process. Yeah. Like, let's say that you want to work with, do you start with like an artist or a producer or either way? Or how does that how does that work? I'd say 99% of the time I start with the producer. I do have artists in mind, though. So that's the thing. I keep tabs on what I think will do well and what I think would be really, really interesting as far as artists go. Then I find out who produced them. Let's say Lamb of God. We did Lamb of God, what, that's like August 2018, I think? Yeah, actually it came out midway through August. So the first step was getting Machine, uh, the guy who produced the two records I wanted to do something off of, to agree. And I didn't know Machine, so I had to meet Machine somehow. Uh, We did that via the podcast. That's a that's a way that I get to know people. And how did you get him on the podcast? Through his excellent, incredible manager, Johnny Minardi, and our friend Jesse Cannon. They are good friends and they used to work together. And I think Jesse had him on the podcast and uh, said, you need to talk to this machine guy. He's just awesome. And uh, so so it's like a chain where yeah. Johnny knows machine well he manages machine y- yeah yeah so johnny is the connection to machine jesse is the connection to johnny and to machine right so there's like it's like a three-step chain here to get the relationship with machine yes see at this point in time now i could just go to johnny if he's managing someone because we're good friends at that time we were not good friends yet so i couldn't just approach johnny for this producer that I think was not into the idea of doing online stuff. So I went through Jesse, who had a great experience with him. Jesse introduced us, then Johnny reintroduced us, and we did a podcast. That's a very easy way for me to get to know somebody because we can have a two or three hour long conversation with a complete total stranger when else am I going to get the chance to do that? Because if you just call, if you're just like, hey, machine, want to talk for two hours? Yeah. He's going to be like, no, I'm yeah, busy. Yeah, exactly. Let me sell you on this thing yeah. you've never even heard of. Right. No, that's not going to work. So podcast is a perfect format. And also it helps me suss out whether or not I want to work with this person. Because uh, as we've learned, not everyone's good at speaking and not everyone's good at teaching. Being a great producer and a great speaker are two different things. Yeah. Some people are good at both, but... Not everyone. Yeah, and it's no slam on anyone. It's the same as with music. Not everyone who's a great guitarist is a great teacher. Everyone who's a great teacher is a great guitarist. It's just, it is the way it is. Um, And we have learned that uh, I need to be, I need to be discerning about who we bring on. Um, So the podcast is a great way for me to see if it's going to work. With Machine, it was like, fuck yeah, this guy's great. Yeah, This guy is all energy all of energy yeah Yeah. and so positive and exactly the kind of dude i would want um and we had such a great time that uh that that to me said 
I can uh, I can turn this into something. That's generally how it goes 90, 95 percent. So of the time. you felt like there was a good vibe. And yes. then you're like, hey, the podcast was awesome. Mm-hmm. Would you be interested in doing Nail the Mix? Yeah. And usually I'll wait until the podcast is out. Let them hear it. Get some reaction from yes. it. People say, hey, I heard you on the URM podcast. It was awesome. Yeah. And there's several reasons for that. First of all, since the URM podcast is big in our community, everyone who goes on gets a ton of uh, feedback personally. Like they get like their uh, the amount of communication they get coming their way spikes. So that immediately validates us, makes them feel good because our community is super positive. So not only they'll have business contacts being like, I heard you, they'll just have random fans, which m- might be something they've never had before. I always say being a famous producer is like being a famous plumber. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, for the most part. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. A few. yeah, there's a few, but... Uh, I don't know any famous plumbers. Right. But there's uh, a lot of producers who do incredible work that nobody knows about. Right. Um, and they're perfectly happy being in the shadows. And that's actually something I need to overcome with them a lot of the time. Not only do they get a chance to see what kind of reaction they're going to get, which is validation. So that all goes back to validation. They also get to work with me once and see how far we'll go. So for, if, for instance, in Machine's case, I actually fired an editor over this. Uh, we always record a backup uh, microphone. And in Machine's case, for some reason, our editor used the backup microphone, which sounded like garbage. And so Machine got the podcast and was like, dude, why don't I sound as good as all your other guests? I'm so disappointed. And I was like, what do you mean? And then uh, I listened and I was like, oh, no, he's using the backup. Why is he doing that? The reason I fired the kid was because he said, uh, I didn't think you'd care. So what do you mean? Right. You embarrassed me in front of this huge dude that I look up to. Especially like, of course, producers care about audio quality. Of course. Yeah. The backup is the backup. So anyways, that's that's not important. But uh, we re-edited it is my point. We re-edited it right away. Within one day, there was a new version with the real file. And I was like, hey, I'm sorry, but it's fixed. I just wanted him to see that. uh, we won't just if something's fucked we won't just you'll jump on it and make yeah, it right we will fix it so validation plus reliability so there's so there's a few things here that i'm taking away from it number 1 is is the importance of of warm introductions and so that like mm-hmm. to get to machine it's a chain of warm introductions absolutely if it's somebody you don't know not to say that you shouldn't ever reach out cold to people that can work but generally speaking it's always better to have a warm introduction i Totally, 100% agree. And it might be three or four degrees away, and it might take you six months to get that warm introduction, but it's probably better to wait and go through that chain of warm introductions over the course of six months than just reach out to somebody cold who has no fucking idea who you are. A good for instance on that is uh, this really awesome lady named Kelly Musgrave who uh, from Linear Management who manages Tom Lord Algae and Colin Britton and Rick Carson and Bob Clearmountain, among other heavies and uh you know now we're starting to become friends and uh we've had great experiences working together uh through colin and through rick but when i was first reaching out you know i was uncomfortable about it she didn't know who i was she didn't know who we were and 
Um, I couldn't just say, hey, uh, I'd love to have Tom Lord Algae on Nail the Mix. I know you've never heard of us. I know that he probably gets hit up 17 times an hour. And for, any, for anybody listening, what has Tom done that makes him such a big deal? What has he not done that makes him <laughs> such a big deal? Let's just say one of the biggest things he's known for was Blink-182 in the 90s, and it hasn't stopped. Like He's done that level of artist since the 90s. Um, lots of people say that he's arguably the best mixer in rock, which I, I agree with. So this is actually a good topic to probe on a little bit more. When you want to work with somebody who gets hit up a lot, how do you establish yourself as somebody worth paying attention to instead of just like, I don't recognize A.L. Levy, who the fuck is that? Delete. Like, how do you establish yourself as someone who cuts through the noise of all those requests? Well, that's a, that's kind of what I was getting at. For instance, before I would even ask about uh, working with Tom Lord Algae or before I would even ask Johnny Minardi about working with Will Putney. And just for the record, if people aren't aware, we've had both Will Putney and Tom Lord Algae on. Um, so I'm talking about stuff that actually happened before asking to work with those guys. I asked for them to work to work with other people they represent who uh, were more, uh, I guess, reachable mm -hmm. for us, more agreeable to what we do in the first place. So prove, um, so prove yourself prove yourself in a smaller context. Yes. Prove yourself with something a lot easier. And again, the podcast kind of does that. They have a great time, too. The producers have a great time coming on because we talk about things that matter to them. I'm not just asking them what settings they use. Like we're talking about personal things and interesting things. And, you know, sometimes these conversations go pretty deep and they see that uh, they see that they're not going to be uh, they're not going to be wasting their time talking to me. And that proving ground, I think uh, you start with that. You start with something small and something lightweight, something that's not going to take several days out of their life. Let's say I had a T-shirt company and I wanted uh, the story so far to wear it. Maybe you would approach their management who also works with 10 other bands and you would say, hey, I'm interested in getting my shirts on the smallest band on your roster. Exactly right. Who probably doesn't get hit up that much. And they'll be like, mm -hmm. yeah, okay, sure. And then you yeah. knock it out of the park with the smallest band. And then six months from now, you're like, it's been awesome working with you on this band. Could we talk about maybe getting my stuff on the story so far? Or even better, I would probably talk to a band that I already knew and have them introduce me to the smallest band on that roster. And even better. have a good... Uh, you need a warm introduction to the managers right, too. Right, you right. can't. It's hard to even approach managers. So managers like to say no. Yes, that's that's their job. <laughs> yeah. And to filter out the bullshit. Yeah, yeah, the bigger you get, too, the more people that are full of shit that are trying to basically leach your lifeblood and time. Right. So managers are there to, they're there to be the pit bull, basically, which is great. Can be annoying, but I get it. I totally get it. So I would approach a band that is friends with one of the smaller bands on the roster, a band that I already have great working relationship with and have me introduce them. So for instance, with a, as far as Kelly's roster goes, um, Kelly is the manager Kelly, of Tom Lord Algae. Yes. She was managing a friend of mine named Alex Prieto, who uh, now works uh, for Bob's Burgers. And he's, uh, he also has done a bunch of 
band records, but uh, he's he's moved on. But at the time, he was managed by her, and I had him on the podcast, and he introduced me to Colin Britton um, at a URM dinner. And uh, by bringing Colin to the URM dinner, uh, Colin saw that uh, URM was more serious than he. And the URM dinner was how many people was that? About thirty yeah. in LA. Thirty cool, fan. smart, super engaged yes. people having great conversations. This isn't like, you know, some corny industry get together. This is no. like a cool, awesome community that makes you walk away from it going, man, that was fucking cool. Yeah, this was a this was like a bunch of great producers. Steven Slate was there too. Like it was there's some awesome people there. And uh so Colin was like, Whoa, these guys aren't just some a bunch of internet shit dicks like i mean if you can pull together 30 of those people for a dinner yeah. you're, it, you're no joke yeah so that made it easy for because colin does high level stuff i can't just can't just approach him um he i mean he's a great dude but you know he he also probably gets hit up all the time for bullshit so once he saw that we were once we were validated basically then i brought him on the podcast podcasts went fucking great that's when I got introduced to Kelly because it was like, all right, podcast went great. Uh, I want to invite this guy and nail the mix. Could I please speak to your manager about that? And uh, then I have a track record of great podcasts with Alex, great podcasts with Colin. I have an in with her. And then I got to meet her. And of course, like I said, it was, you know, we weren't friends at first. So I had to do the uncomfortable job of explaining what we were and but because colin was so uh into doing something with us he already said i will do it just work out the details with her so i didn't have to get her to say yes that's kind of really important because i think maybe so you don't it's like you don't want to go around the manager no. but you kind of do a little bit what you don't want to go around them but you don't want it to be their idea the very first time. Right. Because if they're not familiar with you, you want to say no. <laughs> ideally, you want to get buy-in from their client. Yes. And then engage the manager at the proper time to like handle the bullshit. Yeah. And uh, I think it's important to be clear that a manager's role isn't to get people work. It's to help people get the most out of their work and then to help strategize how to springboard off of that. Sometimes it'll be to get work but not really not with producers producers get work through uh through word of mouth they don't typically get it through managers so once uh kelly had a, a great experience with us through colin coming on nail the mix then it was natural for me to say kelly i would love to have tom lord algae on because can't just ask for tom lord algae first time out the gate uh and again i didn't just say can Tom Lord Algae come on Nail the Mix? I said, can I have him on the podcast? I want him to feel good about working with us. Um, I wanted him to feel like he has rapport with me. I wanted him to feel like he's not wasting his time. So uh, we did a podcast and it went great. So from that point, I felt like, all right, I think I feel as comfortable as I'll ever feel as inviting him on Nail the Mix. This whole process, just mind you, Tom Lord Algae coming on Nail the Mix and Alex being on the podcast was about two and a half years. And not everything takes two and a half years, but when you're going for a big fish like Tom, yeah, 
it's not going to happen overnight. So there's a couple of things that I want to take away from this for everybody. One is, like you said, patience. Mm-hmm. Like this shit is not going to happen overnight. And, Correct. And all these deals that you see announced, you know, may have been years and years and years in the making. Yeah. You don't see all the, you know, steps in between. But yeah. they probably took years to happen. Yeah. I mean, we haven't even talked about the band part. Right, <laughs> right, that's, right. That's just getting the producers to agree. Yeah. So then there's the whole... And it's kind of the same yeah. process with band. I mean, you don't have band on the podcast, but like the second thing I want to take away from it is, you know, whether you think of it as a ladder or a funnel or however you want to think about it, you have this series of steps that basically is starting with small wins and building mm-hmm. off of those until you earn trust and build relationships and ask for bigger and bigger, bigger things each step of the way. Earning trust, yes. and you don't move on into the next step until you've earned trust at the current step. Correct. And then usually, though, the things that are the bigger wins are the same process as the smaller wins. Like when asking, uh, when going through the process of getting Tomlord Algae and now the mix, and starting with the podcast, it's just the podcast, same as with anybody else. It's just us having conversation. Uh, and then the question is, is it going to go well or not? Or did it go well or not? And if not, we're not moving forward. Right. Just like you don't skip steps on a ladder, at least I hope you don't, because that's a good way to fall and break your neck. You don't skip steps in this process of getting people to say yes. Correct. And I mean, there's someone else on Kelly's roster I want to work with right now. Um, now that, you know, we've had Alex Colin. Tom Mordology, we've had Rick Carson on the podcast. I could probably go to her and say, I'd like to bring this person on Nail the Mix. And we could probably work it out. But you're going to wait until after Tom is on and has a win. Yeah. Well, no, no. I'm going to ask for the podcast regardless, okay. even though I could Got it. skip this step because, again, it, it can't just be about the manager. The producer needs right. to, the producer has to feel very, very strong right. about this being beneficial. So if I don't know them, the podcast is the best way. So you just, you have to find some way for people to understand that uh, working with you, being involved with you is a good thing. Like to me, the part that a lot of people miss is what's in it for the other person. That is all I think about. Like when, if you DM somebody and say, listen to my demo, like why, why should they listen to it? Yeah. What's in it for them? For instance, with Tom Lord Algae, one of the reasons I didn't ask Nail the Mix up front also was because I didn't know what was in it for him. Because what is in it yeah. for him? That's a dude who has won. Like, it's obvious what's in it for us. Yes. He's a badass that works with an incredible artist, and we'd love to have him on, but it's in what's it. in it for him? Yeah. No amount of money that we would offer would, I mean, it's obviously we're paying him well, but it's not it's not the, enough the dude's that he made do it solely for yeah, the money. He's made his money, but he has nothing to prove what's in it for him. And uh that's through having people on the podcast, I also figure that out because I get to figure out what their values are, uh what is important to them, what they hope for, what they're into. Like some people are passionate about, you know, uh passing down knowledge to the next generation. That's what it is with Tom. Uh yeah. he loves mixing. Like loves it. Like he is still as passionate about it now as he was when he was 20 he loves talking about it and uh he feels very strongly like you said about passing it down and so once i knew that that was enough of a motivator for him 
then my angle was that he has done stuff like mixed with the masters which is awesome but it is a certain crowd uh we have a different crowd we have i think a much younger crowd and bigger bigger yeah but they have an older crowd and i think tom wants to reach the the utes of (laughs) of the nation basically and so i offered him the opportunity to do that and so let me just interrupt you there I think this is an important point is you don't proceed to the ask until you have a very clear idea in your head of what's in it for them. Yes. Like, here's why I always. think you might be interested in this. Always, 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 always. I hate sales. I really do. They make me feel uncomfortable. And the thing that I hate about it in general, when it's being done to me and when I see people talking about it, is that, uh, yeah, the words like value... Uh, get thrown around a lot, but I think a lot of people don't actually make that their mission, the what's in it for the other person. I think what's in it for the other person is it's everything. Like you said, it's obvious what's in it for us, but we're not having a conversation with somebody unless what's in it for us is already understood. That's the easy part. Yeah, that is the totally easy part. Give me $10,000. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so I'm going to go buy a new car. Yeah, it's so easy. So I don't need to think about that part. I'm not going to talk to somebody that won't be that I think won't be beneficial for us. There's always something in it for us. So let's say uh, again using our hypothetical t-shirt company and we want bands to wear our shit. At this point it's just me uh, running this out of my bedroom and I have three designs. Uh, why would a band want to wear this shirt? Like what is in it for them? Well, let me sidestep this answer and say something about why you wouldn't want to approach a big band. Um, if you're not proven, uh, even if you're a sick designer, which has ha- something that's happened to friends of mine who are yeah. great artists is say you get Metallica to wear your shirt and they love it. What are they going to do? They're going to take your design to their <laughs> dude and be like, make stuff like this. Yeah. Um, because they don't know you. Right. They don't care who you are. Just because you made a great design one time doesn't mean anything if you don't have the relationship. So in order to get to the point where that bigger artist is going to not only wear your shirt, but have you make the next one, which I think is what you really want, then there has to be some sort of a track record and relationship there, or else you will get bypassed next time. There are lots of artists out there. They'll get someone they're comfortable with to replicate your design, um, the style of your design. So again, that's why by starting with the smaller wins, um, you're building that relationship so that when you finally get up the ladder, there's momentum and there's, there's something solid there. Um, if it's coming through the manager or coming through other bands, uh, they can say something like, well, we've worked together 10 times. It's been great. And you'll have that behind you, which is, it's like, it's like a priceless, one of those uh, priceless commercials. Right, right. Like it, it is priceless. 
Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, You can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. So so if you were starting from scratch, you know, if you came into this, you had a network before Nail the Mix, mm-hmm. before URM, from your days as a producer and your days in Doth, you know, mm-hmm. but let's say that you didn't have that network. Yeah. You were starting like cold, just you're an absolute nobody. What would be your first step in getting this thing off the ground? I get good at what I'm doing. <laughs> well, I mean, like, who, is that assumed? Who would be the first person that you like? Literally, let's say that you had to start Nail the Mix, but you didn't have any network whatsoever. You were just a kid in a bedroom with an idea. Where would you start building this network of trust and all these relationships? What would be the first person you would talk to? So, uh, people are going to hate this answer. Um, if I want, if I was a kid and I wanted to start Nail the Mix, I would say that I'm going to start it down the line and I would build up my credibility. Well, actually, this is a good point. We didn't just start Nail the Mix. There was the podcast first. And there was Creative Live. That's true. But let's talk about the podcast and how that set the stage Mm -hmm. for Nail the Mix. For people that are unaware, the 
the URM podcast came out about nine months before Nail the Mix. The URM podcast. But Nail the Mix was planned. Yes, Nail the Mix was planned long before that. I think me and you had been talking about it as way far back as 2013. After doing Creative Live once, we had already started throwing that idea around of how cool would this be if we gave stems. Right. But it just didn't feel like the right time. So anyways, 2015, uh, early 2015, the podcast comes out. Now, what made that podcast different than other podcasts at the time, besides the actual content, was the fact that it was a paid subscription. Most podcasts are not paid subscriptions. So it let us test whether or not people were willing to pay to hear us speak over and over and over and over It was again. like five bucks a month, is that right? There were tiers okay. from five, 15, 30, 60. And uh, those upper tiers actually gave some of the services that we do now in as part of our subscriptions. Like for instance, uh, there, were, there was a tier that got you one-on-ones. Uh, there was a tier that got you mixed crits, for instance. So some of the stuff that became what URM does was being tested in those podcast tiers. And through that, A, we built up a subscriber base of a few hundred people who were happy to pay for us to talk about stuff. And it also let us play around with uh, with features and services for a while and see what people care about so that when we did come out with the Nail the Mix offer, we could add other things that would make it a no-brainer. So you basically said, let's confirm that people will actually pay for us to teach them about audio. Yes, month after month after month after month. Right, and whether it's the exact same offer or whatever is a separate conversation, but let's just test if anybody gives a shit about us mm -hmm. talking about audio enough that they will pay for it. Yeah. Now the mix is a massive undertaking. Cause you don't want to just jump in and like, Hey, yeah. let's build this company and live stream and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. What if nobody, what if nobody cares? How do you de-risk it by like proving it? Exactly. Know? And, and we said from the beginning that this is going to turn into an audio school. I don't think everyone believed us, but uh, that, like we were very, very clear about it to listeners and to people in the community that uh, this is, podcast is just the beginning. But yeah, we started with, I guess you could call it the minimum viable product, but we started with something that would just test if people were down with the subscription. Because there's a big difference between will people listen to us talk and will people pay to listen to us talk are two different things. Yeah, and then on top of that, will people pay to listen to us talk Versus will people pay to listen to us talk over and over and over? Right, right. That's a whole other thing. Right. Like I knew from Creative Live that people would pay to listen to us talk. Right, because we did, you and I did what? Eight. Four? It was like eight. eight. We did eight, yeah. yeah. We, did, we did eight classes together at Creative Live, which sold, you know, six figures. So mm -hmm. we knew that there was, you know, something there. But again, to your point one-off purchases like that are a different thing than subscriptions and it's smart yeah. to de-risk it by testing these ideas so that's another i guess the big takeaway from all of this to me is the idea of being deliberate and patient and going in steps and each one of these steps whether it's three steps or a hundred steps is just proving that you can win here and then ratcheting up a little bit going to the next step proving it there and you keep going until you get to the end goal. Yes. And let me clarify something that people may not understand, or maybe they're not thinking about. Yes, you're absolutely right. It is about 
uh, taking deliberate steps and de-risking and of course. However, you also have to know when to press on the gas. Um, so one key example was uh, when we first started Nail the Mix, uh, we rotated. We didn't have these big bands. It was me, Joey, and Joel rotating every month. And uh, Joey was a bigger producer than us. So the bands he brought were a little bit bigger, but he still didn't bring like his. It was like Versa. Yeah, Versa yeah. Collider. Yeah. Or Ve- Vesticolide. Yeah. Vesticolide. Yeah, I'm no. I always get that mixed up with Versa Emerge. Yeah, Ve- Vesticolide, Chunk No Captain Chunk. I brought on some local bands. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Joey didn't bring Asking Alexandria right. on. Uh, we brought bands that would say Again, yes. because you weren't, that would be skipping steps. Yes, that, there's no And we way. did get Asking Alexandria later, yeah. years later, after we had proven ourselves in those earlier steps yep. on the ladder. Exactly. So we started with Locals. Little by little, we started to get bigger bands. And um, we got basically Machine Head and then Periphery back to back. Like We Came As Romans was the first like real big... No, that was a year later. Was it? Yeah. Okay. That was a year later. So maybe Machine Head was the first like real big name. Mm, I think it was Neck Deep. So basically it, it went... Well, whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it went Neck yeah. Deep, Chelsea Grin, something, Machine Head, Periphery. Okay. And at that point, because still with Chelsea Grin, then Joey did one, then Joel did one, and then September was Nolly. Yeah. It was like, okay, this is a a turning point because at this point we're gonna get a, a lot bigger. And so the question is, do we continue doing it with me, Joey, Joel, and then maybe every three months bring in a big band and someone else? Or do we just press on the gas right now yeah. and uh, just go for it? And with the potential risk of running out of bands, like if it didn't go fast enough. Or, and you couldn't get people to say yes yeah, quickly enough. Yeah. And then what? Then we would fail because after having like, say we jumped up to bigger bands like Periphery and everything that came next for six months and then we couldn't get any more yeses then what right are people wouldn't be happy to go back to local bands and by the way i should say with periphery that was a really big early win for us but we had all worked with per- the people in periphery for years yeah, before that, that didn't come out of nowhere so that was not a cold relationship no, at ab- all absolutely not but uh at that point my instinct was to say fuck it let's just go for it and try to only book bigger bands and other producers from this point forward maybe we'll do nail the mix sometimes but us teaching them but from this point forward let's take periphery as the jump off point and uh it is a little riskier to do this because like i said there's no going back can't go back to the local bands yeah but uh at the same time to me it was a bigger risk not to do that because once we had periphery on i knew that that was when other people were going to start copying us yeah and, uh, and and to use the latter analogy again, to go back to local bands, no disrespect to them, that would be like taking a step back down the ladder and yes. going backwards down a ladder sucks. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah. I don't do that. We so. don't want to do that. So although there is always going to be risk, it was logical. It wasn't like a crazy, no. you know, wild haymaker. It was a logical, calculated decision that made sense. But it was definitely riskier. Yeah. And it was definitely stepping on the gas. Um, but again, uh, I thought it would be riskier to not do it just because as has happened, that's when the copycats started coming out. So yeah, 
you take the small small wins and the and the calculated risks um but then you also make the big moves when you have to so there it's there is a balance to it but like you said none of the bigger moves just came out of nowhere it, it wasn't some wild swing it uh it was definitely calculated so the, the big thing to me that people can learn from you in regards to this is working backwards to me mm-hmm. so you know with any of these things you have an end state in mind and you don't necessarily know how long it's going to take to get there exactly but you know if you want to have you know rick rubin on with slayer or whatever you know you would and god that would be cool and that and and that will take years yes there are 20 steps or 50 steps or whatever in between that and i think what people are missing is they don't do the work of outlining all those in between steps yeah absolutely and and if it sounds like if all these things that we were talking about sounds like a big complicated game of telephone and like you're imagining like you know in homeland or any of these movies where they have like the pin board like in there it's not like that (laughs) but it kind of is though it will like well it is but i guess what i'm saying is yeah people make the mistake of skipping the steps but i find they also make the mistake of over planning right so i do have that end state in mind and it is kind of like you know having the names on the wall and the the pins and the map and all that however i don't have that written down anywhere right that's all in my head like the end state of of getting a metallica or a slipknot on because you don't know in hindsight there was a clear linear path yeah. there but y- you know of course we want to have slipknot and metallica on and you probably have in your head right now eight different potential ways that that might happen mm-hmm. and it will one i think it will happen one day probably there's eight potential ways it could happen and you don't really know which one it will be correct so you're just kind of probing on multiple different fronts yeah and there's always the the ways i don't know about yet so and there's probably lots of times where you're pretty sure that it's going to work out this way and then it ends up working out in another way that you didn't expect at all yeah and uh also you know people do say no sometimes and uh so i've had it where i thought for sure someone was going to say yes yeah and then they just flat out not interested at all like an actual slamming no. the door in your face yeah an actual no like uh, hey would you like to go out sometime no nope and you got to know when no means no and right. uh respect it but i just wanted to make that point about over planning because i have noticed i do think some people will listen to this and then sit there and try to plan out the next 15 years step by step by step by step right which i think also is a waste of time because uh none of us can predict the future uh so you have to have some like you said you got to kind of got to work backwards and have a basic understanding of how you'll probably get there but more than anything uh some sort of a process by which uh you can move up the ladder little by little by little um and that you can repeat over and over and over again but i think it has to be emphasize that I don't think that we could have started Nail the Mix if we didn't have our prior track record. Yeah. We could have started it, but... Our prior track record being you all as producers and us on Creative Live. Yeah. Like, the the relationships that I have uh, that I have called upon to help some of this happen are relationships that go back 15 years. Some people are people that I encountered in, like, 2005 when i was trying to get my band signed who i interacted with back then and then haven't since but we had a good positive interaction 10 
15 years ago and that made it easy to talk to them. <laughs> Some people I had a bad interaction with back then and uh, it gave me the opportunity to uh, basically mend the relationship. But still, the fact that there is lineage or uh, a history, yeah, man, it makes so much of a difference. That's why I said when what would be the first thing to do and I said, get good at what you're doing. Um, I know it is kind of funny and it is kind of obvious, but I was I was serious about that. Like if you're because, some kid, that's how you earn trust. Yes, that's how you earn trust. And if you're not awesome, none of this matters. Then you're useless. Yeah, no, none of this matters. And with, I don't mean to say that in a cutthroat way. Like, oh, no. you're useless. It's just that's the reality of business. Mm -hmm. Is you have to be useful in some way, no matter how much people like you. That only goes so far. If it's like, dude, yeah. I love that guy, but I just have no idea what we would do with him. Like yeah, that's a dead end. Absolutely. And so I would encourage the the younger people listening to yes. Get good at something and and develop a reputation for being yes. the person who's good at that thing. Yeah. If you want to do something like this, which sure I encourage you start a business. That's great. But um in order to start one, I think you need credibility. I also don't really even think it matters what you are good at no. it just matters that you are good at something yeah because like if you're known in your community as a badass carpenter mm -hmm. that's fine then just be a badass at something and then if you want to start a t-shirt company like you will have earned credibility as a carpenter that will make people take you seriously when you start the t-shirt company which i know sounds weird but it it just the point is that you have earned a reputation as somebody that can be excellent at a thing and, yes. and that's what people respond to. I am positive, and I don't want to sound braggy or anything, but on topic, I'm positive that if URM were to disappear tomorrow, I could get involved with something high level uh, or start something high level and use my network. Yeah. And I would be taken seriously because of uh, the track record that's been established. Um, and, not that I want it to go away or anything, but I know that because of that track record, um, it doesn't matter if whatever that thing would be wasn't an audio school. Right. What matters is that people have seen seen what I can do. Now. Pro you've proven that you can yeah, execute. Exactly. Uh, that is so 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 important. So for the kid who has these big dreams, you got to look at that first first and foremost is how well do you execute and then from there everything else you know everything else comes next and it's kind of like uh you know with these marketing products and funnels and all that marketing education that people take on and lead magnets and all these things that people do to try to sell online who that work really really well if you've got product market yeah. fit but don't work at all if you don't. And right. I've noticed that a lot of people will take these online courses and get click funnels and do all that and have zero success. They watched an ad where someone was like, this funnel made me $18,000 in one day, which is something that we've experienced. Yeah. I because, believe it's, I'm yeah, sure it's true. That, it's, probably, that person probably did make 18 grand. In yeah, day. yeah, totally. It's that, it happens. It happens when you've got product market fit. But what, all were the of other, it works. what were the other conditions around that 
that yeah. enabled that to happen. Exactly. That's the part they leave out in the ad is, well, this person has also been working in the space for 25 years. Yeah. Well, you has, can't sell that because yeah. you can't sell that part. There's, you can't sell uh, credibility. Right. You can't sell experience. Um, you can't sell a track record. Uh, but that is crucial for any of this shit to work. And then if you have all that, then these are just tactics and strategies. So I guess just to bring it all home, to me, the biggest theme in all of this is start small, yes. start now, start yeah. small. Well, it's going to take a while to so start yeah. now. Build relationships, build trust. Don't skip steps in the mm-hmm. process. Just start small and work your way up. And remember, like, I think, you know, without tooting our own horn, I think both of us do pretty cool stuff now, but we've also been doing it for 20, 25 years. Which and, is crazy, right? Yeah, it's horrifying. <laughs> You know, I didn't do cool shit like this in 2002. Did you see that meme? And I, and I remember reaching out to people back in 2002, just totally like blindly. <laughs> and and I can just imagine them getting, I would send them stuff in the mail. And I can just imagine them getting it and just being like, what? Who is like Demoralizing. Yeah. yeah. But I didn't know what else to do, you know? Yeah, man. I remember uh, sending out press kits in like 2003 to labels and press for my band and getting laughed at online. Like one guy got our press kit and his whole review, he didn't review our record. He reviewed our press kit and just trashed us. Like it was just demoralizing. Uh, nobody gave a shit. Yeah. And why would they give a shit? There were 10,000 other bands trying to so Kerrang isn't going to give a fuck about your band oh of course not but the local you know alternative weekly paper might your youtube audience might yeah and if you get five uh alternative weekly papers to write about you then you take those and you shop it to the next person up the ladder and do that five times shop it to the next person the ladder and then in six years you're in Kerrang. yeah exactly and uh that that basically is how it all works. Um, it all kind of follows that. I think, again, uh, back to why I think that uh, younger people need to establish their credibility first is precisely that. Uh, like it or not, uh, nobody's going to give a shit, dude. And I get hit. Now I'm the person who is in the position of not giving a shit when certain people hit me up. And, I and it's not that you're... Not, you think you're too good for it. It's just, you just can't. Yeah, I can't give a shit about every single thing right. that comes my way. Or else the stuff that was truly important, I wouldn't have time for it. I barely have time for it as it is. So uh, I have to be very, very careful about how I spend my time. And I imagine every single person who is busy, who can help other people out in any industry, is going to be busy. And uh, so they're going to talk to people who are valuable to speak with. So if you're not bringing something to the table, uh, you're going to get ignored. Before you reach out to anybody about anything, make sure that you can answer the question in your head. What is in it for them? Correct. And if you don't have an answer, don't hit send on that email. Yeah, it's that simple. Cool. Well, thanks uh, for sitting down and unpacking this for everybody. Thanks for having me on. And if you are interested in checking out what we do, you can go to urm.academy or nailthemix.com and uh, we'll teach you how to make some awesome music. And uh, yeah, if you feel like hearing me speak about 
sometimes this kind of stuff, just unstoppable recording machine podcasts in iTunes or Spotify or on our website. We have about 250 episodes. It's a good way to start. You don't <laughs> yeah. want to pay money. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that, and you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.